0: Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, April 15th. I don't know how else to say it, folks. You look at the results at this week's ATP and WTA-level events, the players finding success, they are young, and they are getting it. I mean, look at Monte Carlo, Kasparud, Stefano Tsitsipas, Andre Rublev, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, all advancing to the quarterfinal round. You look at the action in Charleston, things get even crazier. In the quarterfinals, you're going to have two players who are both ascending WTA title-winning talents in the women's game in Clara Tawson and Maria Camila Osorio-Serrano, both making the quarterfinals. The craziest part, they're not even the youngest players remaining in the field in Charleston. 15-year-old Linda Fruvertova making a breakthrough run as she reaches her first WTA-level quarterfinal this week in Charleston. Those two tournaments are going to be the theme of today's podcast. Want to recap Thursday's action. Also want to talk briefly again about some of the challenger matches we saw unfold on Thursday. I've been locked in to the event in Orlando. I've also been watching the red clay events, Brandon Nakashima competing over in Europe. Want to see how he looks in some of his early matches of his career on red clay. So again, recapping all of Thursday's matches, that's the agenda for today podcast gonna be just me steering the ship we were supposed to have Jamie McDonald unfortunately some other things came up for him I believe he's gonna be joining me tomorrow so be on the lookout for that I will remind all of you listeners if you want to hear more about the Challenger Tour specifically all of the college tennis news of late tune on over to our great shot podcast feed to find my conversations with David Gertler Matt Stokowiak and Chris Halioris on those topics we also have a bonus Friday Friday podcast for you. A match of the day segment. Traditionally, those are just for our Patreon subscribers. We have a match of the day for all of you listeners today, as we are going to be live on our YouTube channel starting at 4:15 p.m. Eastern time on Friday to broadcast the USC versus UCLA women's uh, tennis match. We were supposed to have a doubleheader with the men. The men's match got canceled. We'll talk more about that next week. But we're still super excited for the women's match. Match on Friday. Nina Pantich, a former UCLA Bruin herself, formerly of Baseline.Tennis.com, has a new tennis media gig. I know she's excited to share with all of you listeners. She's going to be joining me in the booth for that match. So if you are looking for your college tennis fix on Friday, be sure to join us on our YouTube channel for USC UCLA. And again, to hear more about that match, tune on over to the Great Shot podcast feed. Of course, I mentioned our Patreon family. They're the lifeblood of this podcast and they along with all of you listeners help make these podcasts possible day in day out by the support you give all of us it's what encourages people like Midwest Sports to come on our Cracked Rackets team and of course if you want the best equipment at the best prices you know to check out our friends at Midwest Sports you go to MidwestSports.com use the promo code CR15 you'll get 15% off your order free two day shipping on all orders exceeding $75 best of all a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that in mind, Let's talk about Thursday's action and I know I led the podcast with a spiel about the success of the next geners but anytime the number 1 player in the world gets upset that's the match we have to start with and that it was Dan Evans who pulled off the upset the same Dan Evans who coming into the week had a career record of 4 and 13 in professional clay court ma- uh, in professional excuse me in ATP level clay court matches now 7-13 and 13 overall as he gets a three-set win over the Deuce in round one. Straight sets over Hoopy Hercots in round two. And now unequivocally, the biggest win of his career as he knocks off Novak Djokovic in straight sets, 6-4, 7-5, to advance to the quarterfinals in Monte Carlo. You look for Dan Evans. It's going to be his 13th ATP level quarterfinal of his career. First one for him at the Masters 1000 level. And I mean, you look for Dan Evans, one of the millions of fantastic stories you'll find throughout the tennis world. Of course, he was suspended uh, for violating the tour's drug use policy a few seasons back, but has been a rock. Ever since coming back to the tour, you look at his records, 31-13, and 13. a lot of those matches happened at the challenger level in 2018. He goes 55-30, and 30. again, a ton of challenger success in 2019. Uh, 2020, he's back on the ATP Tour full-time, started off his season with a bang. You look at that 2020 season to begin the year, he goes, uh, you know, wins over Gofen, Elbot, and Diemenauer in the ATP Cup, a win over Bublik to make the quarterfinals in Adelaide beats Mackie in five sets to start out in the Australian Open. Then quarterfinals Rotterdam, where he beat semi Semifinals Dubai, he ended the hot streak of Andre Rublev. There, uh, then you know kind of struggled to find his rhythm at the beginning of the restart. He then ended the year, of course, with runs to the semifinals in Dubai, semifinals in Vienna, and that success has translated here to start 2021. He's 9-5 and five on the season, won the title at the Murray River Open, the warm-up to the Australian Open. It was the first ATP-level title of his career. You know, struggled in Doha, Dubai, Miami, uh, losses to Federer, Karatev, Tiafo, all in three sets. So, struggled from a result standpoint, but was right there in every match he's played. And now gets the big breakthrough result with the win over Djokovic. And when you watch this match... You know, you have to start out with the obvious. Was this the best from Novak Djokovic? Absolutely not. You could tell physically. He just didn't really have it today. And that was the key because Dan Evans made him work. And it's tough for Dan Evans to hit through a clay court, especially that back end. He prefers to hit the slice. He can, of course, drive through it comfortably, but that slice he hits, uh, you know, it's tough for him to hit a winner off of that wing. And then, you know, he's great when he's hitting his forehand on the move. He's great at using that uh, forehand to move move forward as an approach shot set up the put away volley set up the next ball but it's a little harder to hit your approach shots with great depth with great pace your opponent's going more likely to get a look at a passing shot on a clay court and certainly you think from a uh, matchup perspective if Djokovic was patient today willing to withstand the rallies physically that he would knock off Evans but it's a credit to Evans who in each and every point was willing to go 10, 15, 20 shots you look in this match there were Uh, a bunch of breaks of serve, and it's because Evans just kept – You know, neutralizing the Djokovic serve he kept getting the point back to neutral and playing the rallies at even and you look for Novak Djokovic only won 52% of his serving points in the match 44% of his return points you know it was an 84-76 total match split so only 8 points dividing the guys it really was an either or affair and it felt like either guy could win every point of this match and that's a testament by the way again to the patience Dan Evans showed was so disciplined just hitting that slice and giving Djokovic nothing to work with keeping the ball in the center third of the court not opening up angles for Djokovic to attack and so you know that forced Djokovic to get a little bit overly aggressive to start rushing to hit approach shots that he probably shouldn't have hit go down the line to the Evans forehand which is probably the Evans best shot his on the run forehand which he can then whip cross court or hit behind you down the line he's just got such a well-rounded skill set and again for Evans 30 years old and during the year turns 31 at the end of May Considering he was robbed of one of his prime seasons for violating the drug policy, it's just so great to see him bounce back, play his best tennis again. He's now seventeen and fourteen in his last fifty-two weeks, nine and five overall in this twenty twenty-one season. You know, he came into the week ranked number thirty-three in the world with this result. Dan Evans now back inside the ATP top thirty, up to number twenty-seven. He wins one more match. He'll be at a new career high of number 25, I mean, oh, actually, it depends. If Casper Kasparud wins, then he will not. Or if Fabio Fonini wins. Well, if Fabio Fonini wins, actually, he'll jump him anyways. But so he'll tie his career high of number 26 with one more win here this week. He earned it. He was better than Novak Djokovic. And, you know, I did a long monologue on Djokovic yesterday, how I thought he was underrated on clay. This is my concern, though, and I mentioned it early, and I think I talked about it in that podcast as well. You know, Djokovic's game is predicated on playing on his back foot. He's so good at reading, reacting, turning defense into offense. Of course, physically, it's never been a problem for him because he's the greatest mover in men's tennis history. And his fluidity, his ability to slide, his ability to be fantastic in the outer thirds of the court and provide pace on his shots despite being in a split uh, position, you know, that's what makes him him. And he's now a little bit older than he used to be. You know, to do all of that on a clay court at age 33 is a lot more difficult than it was at age 27, 28 years old. And so if he loses even half a step... You know, certainly if he loses half a mile, you know, five miles per hour on his ground strokes and his serve, uh, Clay Court tennis is going to become that much more difficult for him. And again, he's such a tough out. He's so good at turning defense into offense. You saw his performance against Sinner. It's just hard to replicate that performance. And he'll have to do that seven times. And, you know, the best performance will have to be the seventh one likely against Nadal. Uh, this was a concerning result for Djokovic, but it's one Djokovic match. It's his first clay court season, first tournament since playing in Australia. His body was always going to react uh, interestingly and you know, to his first tournament back, and so I'm not concerned at all. No, So is it a little concerning? No. It's a loss. He didn't play well. He acknowledged that much after the match, but it's a credit to Dan Evans who just made him work, gave him nothing for free, threw a bunch of junk at him, fantastic game plan, and again, biggest win I would say of Gofen's career, that it happened on clay, excuse me, makes it that much more special. That was your big upset on the day. There was another upset, by the way, David Goffin, uh, the number 11 seed, knocking off number 5 seed Alex Zverev, to just quickly touch on that match. And by the way, for David Gofen who struggled so much during the 2020 season was 12 and 11 overall you look for him lost his last five matches of the year Shapovalov in the round of 16 and then first and at the US Open then first round in Rome Roland Garros Antwerp and Paris he's been significantly better here to start 2021 made a semifinal in Antalya to kick off the year uh, where he lost to Demon Hour in three sets struggled in Australia losses to Paparin and Carlos Alcaraz of Of course, those have been two of the hottest players in men's tennis over the past 52 weeks, but then earns the title in Montpellier. Wasn't a great stretch for him, Doha, Dubai, or Miami, but has bounced back here. Wins over Chilich, Chechenato, and now Zverev to make this Masters quarterfinal, which, by the way, you look for David Goffin in his career, 11th quarterfinal for him at the Masters uh, level now. He's only made one Masters final. It was that 2019 Western and Southern Open. He lost to Medvedev. But, you know, Forgo Fan, 30 years old, 11 Masters quarterfinals, 15 in the world, has been a top 15 player now for like seven years consecutively. He just does everything so well. He's just, you know, again, forehand, backhand wings, movement. Is anything exceptional? Maybe not, but he does everything. So. Oh, his movement is exceptional, but he's just so fluid. And this match against Zverev was actually a very high level. And I will say there was only one break of serve in the match, and it was in a game that Alex Zverev should have held. 30 love, has an overhead, not the hardest overhead either. And he just misses it. And then it's 30 15. And then, you know, they play along rallies. Virev misses a backhand in the net. 30 y'all. Goffin comes up with the goods on a high, a good return in a high backhand volley. 30 40. You know, because he missed that earlier overhead on a, the 30 40 point big serve from Zirev, he should have followed to the net, but he got tentative. And then he gets broken for 4 3. Gofen ends up holding for 6 4. You know, no breaks of serve in the second set. Goffin actually goes up 6 2 in the second set breaker. Zero fights back. Back, I think had a set point that Gofan erased with a huge plus one down the line forehand that was kind of inside out. It was sexy. There's nothing, you know, it was a sexy forehand and well-earned. And then, you know, uh, ends up uh, winning the match on a Zvira or on a, on a, he gets the mini break on a Zvira Air and then uh, earns himself a, a big serve, closes out the match. And now he's in the Masters quarterfinal. And again, you know, David Gofan is just such a tough out. And now that he's got his confidence back, you know, it's just, you have to play a really good match to beat him, and Zverev got broken once. That was the difference. That's how much pressure Goffin puts on you, point in, point out, but credit to Goffin. Uh, this is definitely his best result since the tour restarted. I know he won the title in Montpellier, but his best win in that result was a win over RBA in three sets. I guess his quarterfinal win over Senego in Straits has also appreciated with value, but this win over Zverev, his first top ten win. Let's see. When was the last time in his career against top 10 players for David Goffin the last time he beat a top 10 player before beating Zverev today he beat Rafa at ATP Cup back in 2020 before then it was a win over Zverev in Hala on the grass back in 2019 Hala for David Goffin huge victory for him today to advance to the quarterfinals all right those are your non-next gen results. Let's get into the next geners now. Andre Rublev, Roberto Bautista Agut. anytime they share the court, it ends up being special once again for Rublev, and it's just a fun matchup because physically, you know, Goffin's got the uh, Goffin, Excuse me, RBA's got the speed to track down all of the shots Rublev throws at him. In particular, when Rublev hits that inside-in forehand or goes cross-court big with his forehand, there's nothing RBA loves more than hitting an on-the-run forehand than using your. Pay- Redirecting it against you. Uh, but Rublev, you know, just had a little bit too much pop. And RBA got off to an early break lead in the first set. Rublev erased it pretty quickly, uh, ends up winning the breaker. RBA just plays a rock solid second set. And you look in this match, Rublev uh, broken, I believe, six times in the match. Just RBA was able to put so much pressure on Rublev, extend rallies, get him stretched. But I got to say, Andre Rublev's best surface in his career may just end up being Clay Courts. And I know that's a hot take, but. It reminds me of Nadal, like the way he just his forehand, the Nadal forehand, how heavy they are, how that pace transcends a clay court. And there are some of the few people who can hit through it. Literally, Rublev's game is Fernando, uh, Fernando, excuse me, uh, Francisco Serendolo on steroids. Like his forehand is just the best version of the Serendolo forehand, his backhand better than the Serendolo backhand. He moves just as well, if not better. And it's just like his ability to, to hit through the court he still has the biggest weapon and he just he's fluid as well he's comfortable suffering in those 20 to 25 ball rallies and there were so many of those in this match and again rba is right there rba is playing the best tennis of his career He's done it now multiple weeks in a row. If you're watching closely, you know that fact. But, I mean, you look for Andre Rublev now, 12-2 and two on clay in his last 52 weeks. His loss was a quarterfinal a loss to Tsitsipas uh, in Hamburg. He also lost to Hercats three sets, first tournament of the clay court season in Rome. I mean, it just makes sense. Now that he's this sort of athlete with the weapons, with the confidence, I'm telling you, I— if he knocks off a top seed, if he beats a team or, you know, makes the semifinals of the French Open, if he wins a French Open title in his career, he's a junior French Open champion. It shouldn't surprise anyone. Rublev's weapons just, he had the biggest weapon on the court in his forehand. And for both of these guys, you know, they both win over 60% of their first serves. Uh, for Rublev, he's at 68%. For RBA, he's at 63 You know, both of them win 44% of their second serve points. Both of them earn six breaks of serve in the match. You look Total points for Rublev 109, RBA 107. This is literally an either or match. Rublev won this match because he was the aggressor, because he played big, played his shots in the biggest moments, and RBA was, had to be more responsive, right? RBA is a counterpuncher, well, in his purest form. He's going to, absor- against the best players, he's going to absorb that pace, try to redirect it. But Rublev was the one supplying pace. The match was more on Rublev's terms than it was on RBA's, at least early in rallies. When RBA could extend rallies Then he was on his terms But Rublev's ability to end points quickly Won him this match Continues to amaze you Look now in his last 52 weeks 48-11 and 11, That's an 81% win percentage That's what an elite player looks like At the beginning of their prime Is what Andre Rublev looks like right now Fantastic victory for him Another fantastic victory for Kasper Ruud Comes back from 5-2 down in the third To earn a 7-6-5-7-7-5 win Over last week Marbella, ATP 250 title winner in Pablo Carreno Busta. You look now for Ruud Very sneakily, 13th ATP-level quarterfinal of the 22-year-old's career now. Uh, you look for him as well. Third quarterfinal of 2021. He did it in Acapulco. He did it in Marbella last week. Now he does it here in Monte Carlo. Uh, of course, for him, he also made quarterfinals last year in Hamburg and Rome uh, after the pandemic. And then at the start of year in Santiago and Buenos Aires. So what is that now? Seven quarterfinals for him in the, let's see, in total since 2021 he played. Well, the point is seven uh, quarterfinals for him now, I think, in in under 20 events. Uh, that's that's a player who's now ready to be a top 30 player full-time, and you look for uh, him now in his career, 50 and 26 at the ATP level on, in clay court matches. He's winning two-thirds of his ATP level clay court matches at the age of 22, uh, uh, his ability to... I, I did a whole breakdown on him yesterday, but he just he stood the course in this match. He was willing to suffer physically with Correño Busto. It could match him stride for stride. He you know, got better and better depth and length and pace on his backhand as the match went on. And then his forehand is just so explosive. His forehand is an absolute... Uh, it, he just whips that ball through the court. It's a very, very heavy shot. So well-suited for clay courts. Kasparud's going to be a quarterfinalist in, I think, every clay event uh, that he plays through, and if not every 90% of the clay events he plays uh, during the prime of his career. He just, you know, Carreno Busta had chances. There was a five-four game. Carreno Busta serving for the match. It was like a seven-deuce game. Uh, Carreno Busta had his chances, uh, but it, you know, Carino Busta, I think, had like one match point in those seven-deuce uh, game in that seven-deuce game because Rue just kept applying pressure to him. He, you know, even when he would make an error on the ad side, yeah, he would get frustrated in the moment, but he would immediately bounce back. He just put so many returns on the court. Uh, again, it, it's. Well, It's not quite Goffin-esque because Goffin attacks you more with his backhand, whereas Rude's trying to set up an inside-out or an inside-in forehand, really just trying to set up his forehand patterns. Uh, but again, you got to give credit to him. The guy uh, just he out physicaled Pablo Boost, Busta. That's a really tough thing to do for any player. Credit to Root, who advances again to his uh, se- I believe now second uh, ATP level master ATP Masters one thousand quarterfinal on a clay court to have two of them. By the time you're 20, 20, uh, by the time you're 22 years old, that bodes well for the rest of your career in terms of the other results, Davidovich Fokina just outworked Luka Pui uh, you know was the more comfortable mover and Pui played a long three set match the day before and Davidovich Fokina pl- took advantage of that fact kept mixing up shot you know the location of his shots, changing direction, incorporating the drop shots just was a smart tactical match from Davidovich Fokina two and six victory for him. Fabio Fonini has now won what I think eight straight matches in Monte Carlo the twenty nineteen champion defending points back to the quarterfinals as he knocks off Kranovichch two and six Stefano Tsitsipas, great win for him over Christian Guerin, got off to early break uh, or an early break in the second set and you know closed out that first set by just you know f- staying patient, not being afraid and Christian Guerin loves to hit low backhand cross-court passing shots. Pass started anticipating that anytime he came to the net, covering that ball particularly well, only attacking Christian Guerin's forehand when he was stretched. But that being said, not being afraid to attack the Christian Guerin forehand when the opportunity presented itself. Another quarterfinal mas- at a Masters event for Pass, who really is a top five player in the world on any surface. And then Rafa, 1-1 one one win over Grigor. Grigor didn't have it today. One-handed backhand against the leftiness of Nadal is always going to be a problem. But Rafa delivers the goods one and one. He is into another quarterfinal. I think I I told you guys the stat yesterday. When was the last time he lost in uh, a round of 16 match? So I'm not going to regale you with that detail again. I will tell you, though, the matchups we have on Friday are quarterfinal matches in in Monte Carlo, Tsitsipas and Davidovich Fokina playing for the first time in their career. You always lean Tsitsipas just because such a tough out. And, you know, unless you're a top three, top 10 player in the world, it's really, really difficult to beat him. But that should be a fun one. Davidovich Fokina, always a prime time performer. I think he's a guy who plays to the level of his competition. Sometimes that's to his detriment. Hopefully it will be to his strength against Tsitsipas. Evans Gofen is interesting as well you look Dan Evans beat Gofen 2020 ATP Cup four and four victory for Dan Evans but obviously we're on a clay court here and you know Gofen's variety he's also got the patience to uh, play physical tennis with Evans he's not going to be afraid to go down the line and you know just keep Evans off balance I you probably lean Gofen because how does Dan Evans hurt Gofen in this match by staying patient but in a match of patience you always like that feed Goffin. If you don't have the big weapon to hurt him, he's going to kill you with his variety and by moving you around the court. So again, that should be a really fun match, but leaning Gofen in that one. Kasparud versus Fabio Fonini, those two guys who know how to play good clay court tennis, and, you know, Rude beat Fonini 3-3 and in Hamburg last September, but Monte Carlo Fonini is a whole different Fonini, and he has been locked in this week. He's taken advantage of opponents who haven't had big weapons to hit him off his spot. And if Rude's not careful, if Rude's a little passive on the backhand wing, Fonini will make him pay. So that should be a fun matchup. This is a great litmus test. How locked in is Fabio Fonini? Will he be happy and rest on his laurels with the quarterfinal result, or is he making the push to defend his title? And then last but not least, I mean, Rublev versus Nadal. Do I even need to make the pitch? Nadal 2-0 against Rublev in their career head-to-heads. First time they're playing on clay. Hopefully, we see this matchup in Roland Garros because it means they're both in good form and making the deep runs they're capable of making. But again, from top to bottom, I mean, Tsitsipas, Davidovich, Fokina, Evans, Goffin, Rude, Fonini, Rublev, Nadal. Yes, it starts 5 a.m. on the East Coast, but even if you're only watching replays, you are going to get to watch some replays of some very fun action from... Friday in Monte Carlo. Who's your trusted source when it comes to your facility questions, concerns, and needs? Ours is Hard True, the world's largest manufacturer of tennis court surfaces, equipment, and accessories for over 90 years. Partner with their trusted team of experts, along with collegiate greats Jamie Loeb, Alex Rybakov, and Dustin Taylor to bring the service provider of over 30 professional events annually to your facility. Whether it's the red clay of the Houston ATP, the green clay courts of the Charleston WTA, or the official hard court of world team tennis, Heart true has you covered. If you're looking to build a court, convert a hard court to clay, or or simply resurface your hardcourt, work together with Hardtrue in their mission to lead the tennis industry by creating better places to play. To learn more about their state-of-the-art surfaces along with their catalog customizable on-court accessories, check out hardtrue.com or call 877-442-7878 today. That's hardtrue.com or 877-442-7878 today. Let's move on now to the action we saw unfold in Charleston. This is where the youth movement truly continued. You look at our victors on the day. Let's start with the player, who now has a seven-match WTA-level win streak all before the age of 20 years old. Of course, I am talking about Maria Camila Osorio Serrano, who I have spent so much time discussing over these past two weeks on Mini Break Podcast because she continues not to lose, and today she tried her hardest to. I mean, I think Christina McHale served for the match three separate occasions or was certainly up 4-3, 5-4, and I think 6-5 breaks of serve in that second set, but... Osorio Serrano's a scrapper. She just finds ways to survive that forehand. She can do so many different things with it. She's comfortable swinging through her backhand, playing slice. She looks more and more comfortable as a mover in every match she plays. And, you know, I've talked about it before. I think on the clay, she's got. Borderline elite north south speed, her ability to slide into those shots. I think she anticipates really well, which makes up for her not perfect lateral movement yet. But I think, you know, again, it's a Pass sort of model where she's going to get better and better as she just continues to develop athletically and physically throughout her career. But I mean, look. She kept putting pressure on McHale, and first-strike tennis was the name of the game in this match. Whoever was the aggressor early in the rally, more often than not, won the point. And then we got to the third set, and... I mean, talk about tentativeness. It felt like just every point, no one wanted to go for the big winner. No one wanted to move forward because both of these players, so athletic, kept tracking down that extra ball and just making it so difficult to put the ball away. But, you know, you look for both of these players in this match. It feels like the fact that, you know, there were only 19 break points, that feels a little bit low. But, I mean, yeah. It, it's absolutely crazy that Maria Osorio Serrano was able to pull this match out. She won sixty six percent of her first serve points. She, you know, uh, was able, despite winning fewer total points than Christina McHale, to take advantage of the opportunities when they presented itself. And then when it was crunch time, seven two victory in the second set tiebreak, seven one victory in the th- third set tiebreaker, she just. She put a ton of pressure on McHale, and again, it's the diversity of her shot selection, her ability to play aggressive defense, like aggressively defensive, meaning no shame in throwing that ball 30 feet up in the air and just getting the point back to neutral. Again, she was so good at capitalizing on uh, the McHale second serve, taking that ball early and going down the line, and you know, again, McHale had tons of chances in this match, probably should have won it, but... When you're hot, you're hot. When it's working, it's working. And for the former world junior number one Osorio Serrano, who has faced 52 break points in her last three matches... Uh, it's working for her right now. She's confident. She's collected. You know, physically, how much does she have left in the tank? That's a fascinating question. As we get the battle of former world junior number one tomorrow between her and Clara Tawson. tawson has got the firepower to make Osorio Serrano very uncomfortable, but Osorio Serrano continues to find answers. You know, I'm not going to continue to repeat myself since I talked about her so much yesterday. If you're a first time listener, go check out yesterday's mini break podcast where I talked our two days ago maybe where I talk about her at length. I think it was two days ago at this point. But yeah, I mean, she's a scrapper. And she gets the job done, three-set victory to advance to her third WTA-level quarterfinal last week in Bogota, the second. She did it in Bogota back in 2019, where she lost a three-set match to Amanda Anisimova as well. But, you know, the forehand just works. She knows how to move the ball around the court. She anticipates well. She's just a winner. And winners find ways to win uh, week in, week out, day in, day out. And they find ways to have success on the WTA Tour and just in professional tennis in general. So a fantastic result for Osorio Serrano. You look at the other results we saw on the day. Linda Fruvertova, 15-year-old Czech who topped 15 junior in the world right now, advances to her first WTA-level final, 4-2 victory for her over Emma Navarro. By the way, I had the opportunity to speak with both uh, uh, Osorio Serrano, with fuvertova and with Onjabur following their victories on Thursday. If you want to hear my questions, their answers about their game, adjusting to the green clay, what they're going to be doing moving forward, go check out our Crack Interviews podcast feed. But look, when Emma Navarro got clean cracks at the fruvertova fe- second serve, which does sit up there, and let's keep in mind she's only 15 years old, you know, she was 6 of 23 on second serve points but she did the, her best to minimize those opportunities for Navarro. She made 64% of her first serves was uh 175% of those points was 30 of 40 on them. She won over 50% of her return points was 33 of 58 and just, you know, attacked first balls in rallies, got Navarro on her back foot and as, you know, Navarro number 1 college player in the in the In the uh, country now, uh, in the latest computer rankings, she's got the pop, she's got the firepower, but. Fruvertova made her play uh, made her pay Navarro didn't look particularly comfortable moving in this match and that's because Fruvertova did such a good job playing first strike tennis did such a good job of going cross court cross court down the line changing up her patterns keeping Navarro from finding her rhythm and it's just crazy to think that she's fifteen years old and she's doing all of this and so a fantastic result for Fruvertova to again advance to her first WTA level quarterfinal at the age of fifteen you other two results on the day, Own Jabor, who might quietly be the most underrated clay court player in the world right now. The reason I say that, she's a former junior French Open champion. Only 23 or now 24 and 22 in her WTA, uh, in her career WTA level clay court matches, but that's such a small sample size. And I do think, given the breakthrough we've seen from her on hard courts, given that her career win percentage overall is higher on clay courts than it is on hard courts. I think it's just an opportunity issue. Now that she's going to have an opportunity to play her first full clay court season of WTA-level events, I mean, look for her to jump up the rankings. She looked—you know, was down in early break, but then six four six love win over Alicia Parks. Her variety, the drop shots, her ability to hit behind you just— She keeps you so uncomfortable She's so unpredictable And to be unpredictable on clay uh, Is perhaps uh, one of If not, you know, is a skill of all skills So uh, certainly excited To see her clay court season Continue, fantastic win for her And then a fantastic win for former Vanderbilt All-American Astra Sharma Who just kind of was willing to stay the course And uh, willing to match the physicality Put up with the test That is Madison Brangle She is now into the court Quarterfinals of this event as well. And speaking of which, that's our round tomorrow on Friday. I mentioned Tossin versus Osorio Serrano. In my opinion, that's the headliner. But you've also got, in my opinion, the favorite to win this event, Shelby Rogers, taking on last week's finalist, Danka Kavinich. You've got Jabour taking on now Habino. And then you've got Astra Sharma taking on Fruvertova as the nightcap on the day. Should be fun action in Charleston. With that in mind, I want to quickly transition to talk about some of the challenger results I saw in particular. I want to start with the action that happened in split and in, uh, not in split, excuse me, in Belgrade and in specific Brandon Nakashima versus Liam Brody. What a match! You can find an 18-minute highlight package on YouTube. I highly recommend watching it if you've got some free time here on Friday. I mean, talk about a physical battle. This match, six four, six seven, six four victory for Liam Brody, who you know is really playing the best tennis of his career. Pretty que- quick, uh, pretty. Clearly, and you look for Brody, 27 years old now with this semifinal. He's up to a new career high of number 137 in the live rankings. You look for Liam Brody, what he's accomplished already this season. And I know I talked about it, I think, a little bit earlier in the weekend on the podcast with David, but he's 34 and 13 in his last 52 weeks. He, you know, won the, uh, made the Challenger final first in. In the first week of South Africa Second week South Africa Semi-finals Next week in Biela He makes the final uh, You know Qualifies in Miami Qualifies in Cagliari Now semifinals here At the ch- at Challenger in Belgrade With a win over Miljovic Who won a Challenger a few weeks ago Win over Sebastian Ofner in three sets uh, And then this three-set win over Zdenek Kolar He's just locked in physically And 27 years old now Makes sense uh, that he would be And just you know this was just a physical match. I, I wish I could say he did this specific thing to expose Nakashima or Nakashima was continued to struggle with this thing that Brody was doing well, but this was just an old-fashioned back and forth physical slugfest. 20 to 25 point rally, uh, shot rallies were the were I would say the theme. We're not a rarity at all. That's what you came to expect in this match and you know, if you're Nakashima you lost to one of the most informed players on tour right now, particularly competing at the challenger level, and you were right there with him. You managed to come back from a set and a breakdown in the second to win that second set 7-6, and you were right there with him in the third set. Had an early lead in that 4-5 service game. A couple of unforced errors, a missed backhand volley that I'm sure Brandon wants back. Uh, just give Brody that break, and you know a rare sign from Brandon of frustration. Sends a ball skyrocketing after he loses this match. Speaks to the The intensity speaks to the quality of Play I you know Brody's not the biggest Guy but he does a lot of things really well And he moves the ball around the court really well This was a fantastic Match again highly recommend you go Watch it. I suppose the biggest difference for Brody he won 71% Of his first serve points Uh, Nakashima only won 63% Considering you look at the total Points in this match by the way Brandon saved 16 of the 21 break points he Faced Brody three of the six he Faced overall in this match it was a 121 to 114 or 51% to 49% in total points affair. It was an either or, and that means fantastic tennis fans, uh, a fantastic tennis for us fans to enjoy. Now, you look at the other results we saw, and it, the reason I started with Belgrade, which is where Brandon's competing this week, they're a round ahead of everyone else. Brody was a three-set winner, as was Joseph Kovalik, three sets over number two seed Fasundo Bagnus. Demir Zumher knocks out six-seed Taro Daniel. 4-4, four and, four, and then Roberto Carbeas-Bena ending the winning streak of last week's champion Blas Rolla with a 7-6-6-1 victory to advance to the semis. It's going to be Carbeas-Bena, Brody, Zumher versus Kovalik in tomorrow's matches. In terms of the other challenger results we saw, all Americans winning in Orlando, Dennis Kudla. Fantastic match. 5-7-6-2-7-5 victory for him over big serving Tim Van Rucheven. Jack Sock continues to look like he's just playing at another level. His ability to find forehands. I mean, Roger Federer's got the best footwork ever. His ability to find forehands is maybe the greatest trait in men's tennis history. But right now, I would say Jack Sock might actually be the second best player in the world at finding his forehand, regardless of where he is on the court. No, Nadal is there as well. But just their ability to find inside-in and inside-out forehands on the outside of the court, even when their opponent knows that's what they want to do, it's special. And I mean, his serve just sets up the first forehand. He's always going to find a first forehand. He's returning on his backhand wing really well this week, just hitting through that ball, getting the point back to neutral, and then allowing him to find four hands. Great victory for him, 3-4 and four over number 6 seed Pranesh Gunaswaran. Great win for Christian Harrison, 4-3 and three over Illinois All-American Alexander Kovacevic. Just kind of wore him down physically. And then Michael Moe, 3-6-6, 3-6-2 win over big servant Chris Eubanks. That was a great performance for Moe, who made enough returns, made enough second, third, fourth balls, withstood the first strike tennis of Eubanks, who looked really good through the first two sets of this match but kind of lost the thread there in the third uh but that's that it was the physicality Mo imposed in the match to make and extend and uh, make shots and extend as many rallies as he did it's a testament to his efforts he advances to the quarterfinals now where I believe it's one two three all-american matches and six of your eight quarterfinalists uh American players and then the other two former college tennis standouts and by the way I apologize for the lack of tennis abstract data as related to these challengers I'm just you know I'm a little fatigued I will save the big deep dive challenger breakdowns for David and then a new contributor we're bringing on next week that's what we in the business call a tease but Look, Sox has been playing well of late. Uh, Christian Harrison has been playing well of late. That's quarterfinal number one. You've also got Michael Moe taking on Dennis Kudla. That's going to be a battle. Roberto Sid, former UCF standout, taking on former UNC All-American Braden Schnur. And then a really fun battle of young Americans, Jensen Brooksby and Zane Khan. You may not, you know, Brooksby, a name you're familiar with, Khan, I believe, 18-year-old young American, former top junior Uh, I suppose he still is sort of a junior in the world, uh, amongst Americans, uh, hits the ball just the cover off of the ball Might be the biggest ball striker We have left in the field in Orlando That's an excellent contrast of styles And again, you know, you've got Sock versus Harrison Those are two grizzled veterans Mo versus Kudla That's going to get physical Sid versus Schnurr. That's a fun contrast of style, styles And Brooksby Kahn That's a fun contrast of styles So it's going to be a fantastic day At the Orlando Airport Challenger uh, With air traffic controller Mike Cation On the call In terms of your Last challenger in Croatia, split number two. Kasper Zouk, six consecutive challenger quarterfinals. He knocks off Max Martyr, 6 7-6. He's into the top 200 now for the first time in his career. I believe 14-5 now in challenger matches to start this 2021 season. Has the opportunity to make his third straight semifinal on Friday at the challenger level. I've said it before, it's in the Tommy Paul mold, the guy who's not going to overwhelm you with his size, in the David Goffin mold where he's just damn good, can do a lot of things well around the court. He advances again to the quarterfinals. How about man? Alex Vukic knocking off Zdenek Kolar, who won a challenger on clay a few weeks ago. Vukic 6-4 with the victory. Uh, he's got a higher win percentage in his career on clay courts than hard courts, and it's probably because that clay affords him that extra half second to run around that ball, to hit the big forehand, and that's what he wants to be doing. Uh, he just Kolar didn't have the weapons to hurt him, and Vukic was patient in this match. Uh, really good result. For him to advance to the quarterfinals, he's going to take on Zouk tomorrow. Your other winners, Quentin Halis, Mir Basic, both advancing in straight sets. That sets up semifinal day, where it's Zouk Vukic Halise versus Tanasi Kokonakis, Elias Ymer versus Chem Ilkel, and then Matthias Borg versus Mir Basic. So it should be a really fun day of action on Friday across the professional tennis world. Again, I will point out we are going to have some fun ourselves here at Cracked Rackets as we get to cover uh, the final match of the USC-UCLA women's tennis season. They're playing at UCLA. Coverage of that match starts 4-15 on our YouTube channel. Nina Pantic going to be joining me for that on today's Great Shot podcast. You can hear a preview of that match, and of course, if you want to hear more matches of the day type segments be sure to become a patreon subscriber uh, but of course if you have missed anything that's happened in the past week in the tennis world be sure to go check out our website cracked rackets.com where you can find this podcast the great shot podcast Crack interviews podcast which of course as always i will recommend that you like rate subscribe review if you need more immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at cracked rackets you want to message me directly i am at great shot pod shout out as always to our super producers max Flinger and daniel westoff for the of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order. With that in mind, for Super Producers fligner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.